Yes, Daniel in the lion's den. Now, Daniel was a highly esteemed man when, in the time of King Darius. And the king made him governor over all the other officials that were there. But the other officials were jealous, and they didn't like that at all. So they thought up a plan, and they thought to themselves, let's go to the king. And they went to the king, and they said to the king, O oh, king, you know what? Why don't you make a decree, make a law, that for the next 30 days, nobody is allowed to pray to anyone or any other god but you? Then everybody in the world will know that you are the king of kings. Good idea. Bring me the paper. Let me sign it. So he signed a law that everybody can only pray to him and him alone. When Daniel heard that, he went straight back to his house. And he opened the window. And like he's used to, he prayed to God three times. So the officials and the other people, the jealous people, saw that. And they went to the king and they said, Oh king, you know you've signed that decree? People can only pray to you and you alone. And if they don't do it, they'll be thrown in the lion's den. Well, Daniel, that guy that you trusted so much, he kept on praying in front of an open window to his God. Sure. King Darius realized he's been tricked and he was distressed and he didn't know what to do, but he could not get out of the fact that he signed that law. He could do nothing but allow people to put Daniel into a den of lions. And as he go down, he said to Daniel, may the God that you worship three times a day save and protect you. That night the king could hardly sleep because he was so worried about Daniel. So early in the morning he went back and he called out, Daniel, are you still alive? And Daniel answered him, O king, glory to you and glory to God. He saved me. He sent an angel to close the mouth of the lions. And I, there's not even a scratch on me. And the king was overjoyed. He let Daniel come out of the den of lion. And then he called all those people that was against Daniel. And he said, bring them here. Throw them into this den of lions. And the Bible tells us when they throw them in, the lions devoured them before they reached the, the soil or the ground underneath. So, and then the king said th these words. Listen carefully what the king said. Just got to put on my glasses, otherwise I can't read it. But anyway, the king said, May you prosper greatly, he said that to, to um, then King Darius wrote to all the nations and peoples of every language in all the earth, may you prosper greatly. And then he says this, I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel, for he is the living God, and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. 
So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. What do you boys and girls think of that story? Very powerful, huh? Whenever you hear a Bible story, you can ask yourself two questions. What did you learn about God in the story? And you can easily see God's all-powerful. But you can also ask yourself, what did I learn about the people in that story? Now, I want you to listen carefully to the sermon where I'm going to bring some aspects of that out. But whenever you hear a Bible story, ask yourself those two questions. Daniel 6, and it's a sermon by Reverend J. De Woog. This is probably the most well-known story in the Bible. It is probably one of the first stories we tell our children. Say the name Daniel, and what, what comes to mind? Lions. I've proven it today. Well, perhaps for some of us at least, it's a classic story, and one that can teach us a great deal. Daniel has served as a senior public servant under three regimes with unimpeachable integrity. Now the whole Babylonian empire has been defeated, and the Medo-Persian empire has taken its place. And still Daniel survives. And now he has been elevated to the highest position in the fourth regime, that of Darius the Mede. It is in this context that the whole story of Daniel 6 unfolds. And the first point that we can see in this story is the best way to be truly loyal to your country and your government is to be loyal to God. Think about those satraps. Now that's an interesting word, satraps. I've never, I actually never read it before until I read Daniel 6. But it's another word for governor or captain or ruler. But I looked at other translations and they all use the word satrap, so get used to it. Think about those satraps and administrators who wanted to be rid of Daniel. Why did they hate him so much? Verse 2 give us the likely reason. It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. So here you see it clearly. Daniel was put on top of all the other rulers. Here is Darius' problem. He has to administer a huge sprawling empire inherited from the Babylonians. This would present immense administrative difficulties. So he appoints 120 satraps, each in charge of a particular province or area of the empire. But he knows that with power comes great temptation and also corruption. Now he will have 120 satraps intent on using their position of influence to line their own pockets. So he make, makes the satraps accountable to three chief administrators so that he might not suffer loss. And he recognized in Daniel a man of absolute integrity, a man who simply cannot be bribed, just the man to set over the whole empire. With a man like Daniel in charge, the king will suffer no loss. This is almost certainly what the satraps and the other two administrators hate about Daniel. With Daniel in charge, their financial interests are at risk. Daniel will expose and oppose any corruption down the line. And who is he anyway? The foreigner, this Jew, 
to impose his will upon them. So they go back through the records, trying to find some grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they are unable to find anything. They leave no stone unturned in their efforts to pin something on Daniel. But Daniel is squeaky clean. No mud will stick. Over three long administrations, he has been a man of integrity through and through. He is truly a righteous man. There is no pious facade for Daniel. Look at verse 5. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. The satraps, the rulers, are working against the interests of the king. Can you see that? They're working against the interest of the empire, the law and the truth, whereas Daniel, who technically breaks this new law, is the most loyal of all. The best way to be truly loyal to your country and your government is to be loyal to God. Daniel's adversaries tried to make it impossible for Daniel to be loyal to God and loyal to the state at the same time, but they failed. By remaining faithful to God, Daniel was more loyal to the state than his enemies, who were simply trying to use the state and its laws to serve their own ends. Today, there is an onslaught against believers, even in Australia. Did any of you see the news articles against RI, religious instructions in schools? There's a group of people that keep on exploring ways to force the government to scrap the law that allows religious instruction in schools. It slyly twisted, twists the meaning of words so that it have words like harvest, that is a biblical concept, now have a similar meaning to grooming. They are very clever. And these attacks are going to come to us. What would you say when you need to choose between serving God or losing your job or facing jail? What if you have to choose between death or serving God? This is an important principle to remember for public servants, for teachers, and for all of us. As you go about your work as a public servant or as a teacher or in any walk of life, remember that you can finally serve your government, your school, your family, and your country by continuing to be loyal to God. The next point, powerful human beings are in great danger of being trapped in the webs of their own making. This is true for both Darius and the satraps. And satraps is not a play on the word traps, by the way. Just think of the way Darius is trapped in his own law. The satraps come to, da come to Darius to report Daniel's continuing prayer to God. And Darius realized he is trapped. Verse 14, when the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. Remember, O king, that according to the law of the Medes and Persians, no decree or edict that the king issues can be changed, was what they reminded him of. And Darius 
is forced to commit Daniel to the lion's den. <laughs> How Darius must have hated those satraps for the way they had manipulated and trapped him. How upset he must have been with himself. But the law is the law. One of the great strengths of the Medo-Persian Empire was that even the king was subject to the law. Yes, sometimes the system is abused and misused. No human system is perfect. But thank God that we do not live in a land where the rulers have absolute power. We are very similar to that. In Darius' case, it's a good principle, but he is trapped by it. See how Darius is trapped. He cannot repeal the law. If he suspends and places himself above it, he risks the collapse of the whole social order of the Medo-Persian Empire. So he must submit. He has been trapped. How ironic. His own civil servants are overtly attributing deity to him. Don't let anyone pray to anyone but you for 30 days. You are like a god to us. Darius quickly discovers that he is not a god at all. He is just a puppet of his unscrupulous administrators who are using the system to get their own way. But see that the satraps themselves are being trapped, or should that be satrapped, into the web of their own making. They think they have the perfect plan, but they haven't counted on the one true God intervening. Daniel survives the lion's den, but the plotters do not. These plotters are a terrifying illustration of the principle enunciated in Proverbs 26, verse 24 to 27. Listen to the way these verses describe these evil men. A malicious man disguises himself with his lips, but in his heart he harbors deceit. Though his speech is charming, do not believe him, for seven abominations fill his heart. His malice may be concealed by deception, but his wickedness will be exposed in the assembly. If a man digs a pit, he will fall into it. If a man rolls a stone, he will roll back. On, it, on him. These plotters dig the pit. They roll the stone. They prepare the lion's den, only to fall into it themselves. So we see our second principle illustrated. Powerful human beings are in great danger of being trapped in the webs of their own making. This is true for both Darius and the satraps. While powerful human beings get all tangled up in their own laws and regulations and the bureaucracy so created, and while human beings have to make adjustments and bylaws and conditions until one day everybody is tearing their hair out and saying, this law is a dog. The Lord's way is always right. He is wide and perfect in his knowledge and understanding. He is never trapped into a bad decision. Neither is he trapped by human laws. The Lord overrules the bad law of Darius and Daniel. And you will never be trapped into making a bad or wrong moral decision if your decisions match the Lord's will. That leads us straight into our third principle from this chapter. True personal freedom for you and me comes from walking in the ways of the living God and witnessing to his sovereignty. See how truly free Daniel is in all his actions in this chapter. Satraps rush around in a group, trying this and trying that. Did you notice how the satraps are always in a group in this chapter? 
Look at verse 6. So the administrators and the satraps went as a group to the king. Look at verse 11. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying. Verse 15. Then the men went as a group to the king. But in the end, they went as a group into the lion's den as well. They think there's safety in numbers. They discuss and debate and plot and plan. And it all comes to nothing. In the midst of all this upheaval, See the calm freedom from rush and fuss of Daniel. Verse 10. Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. Three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to God just as he has done before. Just as he, da Daniel calmly continues the practice that he has pursued for probably the last 50 years or more. The peace-shooter law of Darius is nothing compared to the unchanging, perfectly wise law of God. Daniel doesn't even have a debate with himself about what to do. He is truly a free man. In the lion's den, Daniel was, of course, in great physical danger, but he was not in any spiritual danger at all. He has faced the devil squarely. If Daniel was ever tempted to compromise just a little on his daily habits of prayer, he quickly defeated that temptation in the power of the Spirit of God. The evil one had no hold on Daniel at all. Daniel was a free man, even if he was cast into the lion's den. See how Daniel can answer the king on the following morning after he has survived the lions. Look at verse 21. Daniel answered, May the king live forever. My God sent his angel, and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me, because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty. You see, here's the perfect balance. Daniel acknowledges Darius' kingship, but at the same time he witnesses to a higher authority in his life. And it is his commitment to serving the one true God that gives him such personal freedom in the face of great threat. Here is our third principle then. True personal freedom comes from walking in the ways of the living God and witnessing to his sovereignty. Do you want to have that great sense of personal freedom that comes with integrity and a clear conscience? Then walk in the ways of the living God whose law is perfect and whose precepts give joy to the heart. And this is true. And whenever you read a Bible story, you should try and find what, how does it point to Jesus? And Daniel is a perfect example of that. Daniel's experience in the lion's den points us to Jesus Christ. There's a much clearer and more direct way in which Daniel's experience points to Jesus Christ. There is a typological, typological relationship between Daniel's experience and that of Jesus Christ. That is what God did in Daniel's life during this incident, foreshadows what he would do to the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Consider the parallels. Both Daniel and Jesus lived lives of integrity and obedience. As Daniel was framed on a false charge by the Persian satraps, so Jesus was framed by the jealous religious leaders of his day. 
Like Daniel, Jesus was arrested while at prayer in a private place. In both cases, the ruling authority, Darius and Pilate, worked for the release of the prisoner. Just as Daniel's den of lions was sealed with the king's seal, so Jesus' grave was sealed. And very early in the morning, at sunrise, both Daniel and Jesus are found to be alive. Are you goose flesh as well? There are many similarities, but there are also differences. And the differences point to the way in which the work of the Lord Jesus is far superior than that of Daniel. The reality in Jesus is, for although Daniel was preserved, Jesus actually died. Although on Daniel there were found no wounds at all, not even a scratch, Jesus' resurrected body bore the marks of his death. He was pierced for our transgression and wounded for our iniquities. And although God preserved Daniel from his enemies and killed the enemies in his place, Jesus submitted to his enemies and died for his enemies to make them his friends. You and I were by nature God's enemies, and yet Jesus died for us to reconcile us to God. So Daniel's entry into and emergence from the lion's den foreshadows the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But the reality is far, far greater than the shadow. And in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we have a much more substantial basis on which to live than Daniel had. If Daniel could be so obedient and faithful, we have much more reason and warrant to be obedient and faithful. And this leads us into our fifth and final principle. Since God can save in the way pictured in Daniel 6, and since Christ has died and risen again, we can safely place all our trust and reliance upon him and simply follow Christ in any circumstance. The message of this chapter is not that an innocent, trusting believer in God can always expect to be saved from death or hardship times. We've got to make that clear. In the lives of early Christians who were fed to the lions, there's no record, as far as I know, of any surviving the lions. So that's not what's been talked about. The lions of the Romans usually did devour the early Christians. And yet the promise of Daniel 4 holds. Psalm 91 generalizes the experience of Daniel. Psalm 91 verse 9 says this, If you make the Most High your dwelling, even the Lord who is my refuge, then no harm will befall you. No disaster will come near your tent, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you, in all your ways. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. You will tread upon the lion and the cobra. You will trample the great lion and the serpent. Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him, for he acknowledges my name. But the author of Psalm 91 knows that life is not usually like that in the literal sense. If you are bitten by a cobra, Mostly, you will die. If you tread on a lion, watch out. The author of Psalm 91 does not mean it literally. 
Notice that the devil used Psalm 91 to tempt Jesus in the wilderness. Throw yourself down from this height, for his angels will bear you up, and you will not strike your foot against the stone. The devil was tempting Jesus to avoid the pain and terror of the cross, but Jesus knew that life was not like that for him. And we should know that life is not like that for us. We take up our crosses and follow Christ. And yet still the promise of Daniel chapter 6 holds. Not literally, but much more important than literally, it holds as far as our eternal welfare goes. Sometimes in this world, God will act in a marvelous way he acted in Daniel's case. Such experience of divine intervention is very concrete. In very concrete ways are rare, but they do happen. Usually the people of the Old Testament and of the New Testament, and we, usually, we do not experience divine intervention in that very concrete sense. But all of us have heard about, or maybe even experienced, occasional amazing act of divine intervention and protection. Sometimes God acts in these marvelous ways in this world to remind us that he has acted comprehensively in that way for the world to come. He reminds us that he has already, in the history of this world, guaranteed his final rescue of all his people through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So, when you read about Daniel, or when you hear about an amazing case of divine protection, take that God-centered perspective. What matters is the fulfilling of God's purposes, not whether I'm protected or not. For finally, in Christ, God does guarantee the victory of life over death, of justice over enmity, and of hope over fear. Deliverance will come. Even martyrdom is a form of suffering from which we will emerge alive and unconquered as we stand in Christ. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So then, our fifth principle Christ has died and risen again so we can safely place all our trust and reliance on him and simply follow Christ in any circumstance. When you hear the story of Daniel again, know this. Christ has died and risen again so we can safely place all our trust and reliance upon him and simply follow Christ in any circumstance. Amen. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace and your love and your kindness and thank you for the story of Daniel and thank you how you clearly show us that we can share in the miracle of being saved into eternal life. Lord, I do pray that we experience your love more and more, that we experience your love through the love that we have for each other. I pray that we extend the grace you've extended to us, to one another, and to ourselves for that matter. Enable us, Lord, to honor and worship you always.
In Jesus' name, amen.